best hybrid SUVs. We're about to give you our top seven picks in the world of hybrid SUV models. Is your next car on the list? If you're thinking about a family-friendly hybrid, even if you're not, um, stay with us. Welcome. I'm Cars Guide Deputy Editor James Cleary, and joining me to look at what's hot right now in terms of hybrid SUV, fuel efficiency, performance, practicality, and more, are our EV Guide lead, Tom White. Hello. And key contributor, Stephen Corby. Greetings. We'll also look at the fresh metal we've been uh, driving this week and unearth the comment of the week, not to mention being on standby to respond to feedback in the YouTube live stream. So let's get into it. SUVs, we can't get enough of them. Hybrids, we can't get enough of them. Um, put those two things together and you have a compelling combination in the current Australian new car market. Tom and Steve, we've each put together a short list of vehicles that we believe stack up particularly well. And the plan is to circle around the group, hitting the highlights of each one as we go until we get to the specifically not round number um, of seven. So Tom, I'd like to start with you, please. What is the first cab off your hybrid SUV rank? Uh, yeah, well, I'd like to talk about one that I never thought that I would be uh, mentioning uh, as kind of one vehicle that's great like really surprisingly great at something. And it's the uh, MGHS plus EV. I thought I'd start with that one because it's probably going to be a controversial choice. I think a few few people know that it's not the MG that they might uh, know from their past. But uh, I think this car is particularly interesting because uh, the plus EV versions are plug-in hybrids. So it's not your kind of traditional self-charging hybrid as we've come to know them from uh, Toyota. And the most interesting thing about that is it, brings the price point, the entry level down from mid-size plug-in SUV down to that Toyota hybrid price point. So at $46,990 before on roads, mm. or maybe that's even a driveway cost. I don't know. You'd have to okay. double check that. Yep. But um, but it uh, is it the same equivalent price to a mid-grade Toyota RAV4 hybrid. So pretty appealing price point. Uh, it's got a claimed sort of 63-kilometer uh, fully electric driving range and and that is for a, a more kind of mid mid spec uh, level of that car as well so yep. really appealing price point Ma makes the jump to plug-in hybrid not as uh daunting as it might be for a whole bunch of others because we know like other cars we're going to talk about on this uh particular podcast like the uh kia sorento uh lexus nx that like the plug-in hybrid version is always really high spec so it's quite a jump like it's a big ask to say hey, look, here's a technology that's hard to understand. You might not really know how you're going to use it in your everyday driving. Uh, also, please pay us another fifteen dollars to $20,000 for it. You know, yeah. it's a pretty tall order. Uh, when it and comes can to I just say, Tom, spoilers, don't give away too much about what's coming. Up. Anyway, <laughs> no, sorry, just kidding, just kidding. No, that's good. Um, well, I don't know. You can see the NX behind me. But anyway, anyway, anyway. So um, a few spoilers in there, but... but um, I think that is the most important thing about this car is that it does bring that and it follows in the footsteps of the smaller ZS bringing, you know, an electric car. It's currently the cheapest electric car on sale in Australia. So um, it, I think it does that really well. But on top of that, it's really surprising because I wasn't expecting it to be, uh, you know, particularly good at anything from behind the wheel, but it's a really good plug-in hybrid. Like it's okay. slick. 
Uh, It's got a great transmission compared to the combustion version of the car, which has a sort of a glitchy dual clutch. This one swaps it out for a 10-speed torque converter. It melds that electric driving and combustion driving together really well. And genuinely, I think it has uh, quite a long uh, electric range as well. Like there's a claimed 63 kilometers on it. That's not bad. Yeah, leaning in any DC cycle, but in my testing, I've seen uh, late 40s to mid 50s from a full charge, which I think is actually pretty good. Pretty handy. Yeah. And I suppose the other thing to say is that through sheer weight of numbers, MG is now established as, you know, a player in the market. So some of the reluctance about an unknown brand may be dissipating as we speak. Yeah, I think so. Um, Like they're ahead of Subaru now, which, you know, might surprise some people. So, um, you know, they're they're making a real dent on the market. And the fact that I think the fact that they're offering like EV and plug-in hybrid at a, you know, comparative cost to a Japanese or Korean rivals, normal hybrid or combustion car is pretty impressive. So look, I was surprised by this car. And I think, you know, people who are interested in this this technology who who want to get that entry wrong, it's a worthy option. Good. Very good. We're off to a flying start. Thank you, Tom. Um, Unreal. And Steve, we will now move on to you for your first option, please. So I can't go with the rejoinder first. I was going to say, when you say they're ahead of Subaru, you mean in sales, not in terms of quality. And would you actually buy one over a Subaru? There you go. I think you have to be careful with the wording there. But anyway, moving on. Yep. Uh, I'm going to go with the best best of all the options here, which is unfortunate for you two. I've got the Lexus NX, which is the one I would actually buy. It's uh, unlike other hybrids, I really, really enjoy driving it. The combination of the power is seamless. The, the fact that you feel like you're actually getting more, like I'm getting a better car when you when you come up through the range and you drive the hybrid, it's actually the, the best of the lot. And yep. that almost justifies the price, which is a which is an eye-watering 90,000 roughly. Uh, once, once you get that point, that then it becomes a bit of a debate. But you are able to drive 87 kilometres. So real world, you probably get 80 kilometres in EV only. Which is pretty they, handy. That is pretty that handy. Is pretty that's solid. a couple of days or two or three days yep. of commuting without having to plug it in. Yeah. Uh, it's also unusual in being Lexus that I quite like the look of. Um, okay. Yeah. It doesn't do too much with the giant grill. And yes, I was very impressed. It's one of those cars I much like you were saying at the MG. I didn't expect to like it as much as I did. And it really is, you know, for me, it's the very best of the. Would, would it be, just question without notice to you, the two of you, would it be the same underpinnings as the uh, Rev? Uh, for Prime, which what am I thinking about? I'm thinking about Prius Prime or um, the plug-in Rav Four that we don't get here. Yeah, the, the Rav Four yeah, Prime. It's the same as that. Yeah. Um, same underpinnings, same TNGA platform, yeah. um, similar kind of setup. Yeah. I actually, I'm a huge fan of the NX. Like, uh, it, it was one of the cars that when I drove the plug-in hybrid version of it, I thought actually this makes the probably the most sense of any plug-in hybrid I've driven. It's got an exemplary range, but I think the most important thing about the NX that um, maybe we've glossed over a bit here is it has a 7.2 kilowatt charger from stock. And that's really important because it's got a big battery. It means you can charge it up in about an hour and a half, two hours when you're at the shops. So you don't actually need to charge it up at home, which is brilliant. Yep. Can I just say it's unlike us to gloss over anything, um, Tom. (laughs) I found found that comment well out of line, but um, yeah, good point. Great point. Okay, NX, uh, we'll move on from there and I'll chip in uh, with one, which is the Ford Escape. So the one version of the Ford Escape uh, that is hybrid is the ST line, PHEV. So it's a low profile model. I think we mentioned it in a previous podcast in Best Cars Nobody Buys. Um, It's $53,440. It's a midsize SUV, 2.5 litre turbo four, and from that, you get 167 kilowatts, which is plenty of kilowatts, 
210 newton metres, approximately 60 kilometres worth of EV range, 1.5 litres per 100 kilometres, the claimed combined cycle. If you want to put any faith in that, we could have the whole discussion about how that's actually uh, recorded, but it's there. I think it's a good-looking car, and it's it's nicely put together and, and probably, um, arguably, underrated um, in the market. I don't know. What do you make of it, Tom? Um, I drove this car a couple of weeks ago, and what, what, one thing that struck me about it is it doesn't really stand out um, amongst plug-in hybrids for anything particularly. Like, I found that it's got, like, an average range, average driving dynamics, the okay. software, That's like, good. and it yep. and it was the same for me with the HS, honestly. The software is, like, a major weak point. Like, I think if you're getting one of these, like, really tech-heavy plug-in hybrids, you need, like, really cool, sleek software to match it. Yep. Um, and I think that's something that Ford, for whatever reason, are behind on. I'm really keen to get behind the wheel of the new Ranger because it's got a new software suite, which I want yes. to have a look at because I really don't like the software in Ford Europe products, which is the Escape and the Puma and the uh, Focus. So, um, yeah, anyway, that's just that's good. My, that's my a take very on good it. point. Very good. Uh, Steve, anything to say? Well, I, yeah, it's one of those ones that wouldn't excite me as much as the Lexus, except for the you know, price, perhaps it would, might come into play. But yeah, yeah I'm, with, I'm with Tom on all of that, I would say. Very good. Okay. Well, it's time to start the go around again. Tom, we're back to you, please. Uh, okay. Kia Sorento. Um, I think this car is awesome because not only is it able to be chosen as a parallel hybrid so that's kind of the familiar self-charging type that people are used to from toyota but it can be chosen as a plug-in hybrid as well both are really good so the hybrid version excellent the plug-in version also great like it's got a long range uh really nice driving dynamics i think from the sorrento just generally but the hybrids carry it across as well like um i didn't find that Unlike the NX, which has a massive battery and kind of upsets the driving dynamics a little bit, I think they're maintained really nicely in the Sorento. Um, but not only is it all good at all of that stuff, it's also a great seven-seater. Like it's got a genuinely useful third row that you can fit an adult in. I mean, you wouldn't want to put them there for a very long time, but you can genuinely put them back there. And I know, um, you know, that's pretty rare for the segment. Um, so that's good to see. Uh, I think it's got great software. I think it's like, uh, like as I said, lovely to drive and uh, it's relatively decent uh, plug-in hybrid, fully electric range as well. Good. The major issue with this car, I think, is that it's only available as a top spec. So GT line right, for right. both the hybrid and the plug-in hybrid. So it's it's quite expensive. Like you're reaching into almost 80 grand territory for the uh, plug-in hybrid GT All line. Right. So it's well, pretty ouchy. And let me demonstrate once again just how superficial I am because I think that car that car looks great too. I think it's I say, you know, you're it's missing a, it. the, the intro, the big lead there is it looks fantastic. That's what yeah. people say to you, I want to buy a Kia because they look at it and go, God, it looks yeah. awesome. But when you yeah, say yeah. Kia and 80 grand, it'd want to look pretty awesome. It's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So true. It's one yeah. of my favorite designs from Kia, I reckon. Like I think yeah. this looks better than the EV6. And it's wow. not easy to make a car that big look good. So yeah. I've always always said hats off to the designer who can do that. And an EV6 should look good. You know, it's a pretty yeah. big canvas to work with. You're right. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Now, and we incidentally, we've had a comment uh, from planes, trains, and dogs and cars um, saying, is the Toyota Prius going to be attractive ever again? Well, I mean, the again? Fact is, it's, it's not going to exist. And yes, that would presuppose that it did look attractive <laughs> at one point. Um, 
So it's it's gone, as I understand it. Um, Toyota, it's it's lived its life and done its job of breaking the ice on on hybrid, and um, it's it's a goner. But yes, controversial, I suppose, uh, purposefully controversial to make it stand apart. But I um, think um, you know, it, car Japan for a long time. It's a massive success. Yeah. Yeah, I think it lived a little bit of the Prius lives on in every Toyota now, you know. Yeah, that's um, a great point. Yeah. You're that is a, definitely that is a good job. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. Steve, we're now back to you. Yeah, so run Mitsubishi Outlander, which I love slightly less than Lexus, but I can see the uh, the advantage there with the price. Still, you get 84 kilometres of uh, electric-only range, which is impressive. But because I do strange things with my time, I, uh, I've managed to interview a few Outlander owners. And what surprised me is how right. passionate they were and how into the whole Feb thing they were. I spoke to someone who said they'd gone six months without putting petrol in it. Oh yeah. Now, if you want to live that lifestyle, if you want and you want to be absolutely focused on how far, how much can I live with this in electric car and then only use a petrol when I really need to, it's interesting to see how much how much these people love the car for that kind of thing. And you think Outland is the sort of car, surely I'm going out of town all the time, but in the real world, people are just using it in electric only range. And I, I could talk about it forever, but I'm also very excited that it's got a vehicle to grid. That, you know, Mitsubishi is the only other brand yes. offering vehicle to grid, which is a podcast in its own. As someone who has solar panels, I love the idea of vehicle to grid. And yeah. uh, with this car, you could spend $10,000, which is what it would cost for your uh, two-way bi-directional charger to attach to your house and still have a change in the Lexus. Yes, we we have solar panels as well, but they're very small just to charge the radio when we're camping. And we don't have those on the house, but um, yeah, that that that's um, interesting for sure. Um, let me see. Thank you. Where where are we at? I was going to say, if they're running so often on uh, electric only, there's a chance that fuel will go stale. They probably need yep. to. Um, the car gives you a warning. Know. The car says you need to. Uh, the car actually it doesn't give you a warning. The, the engine just kicks in if it feels like it's been too I long, see. and I it will see. run a little fuel through the system. Yeah, Isn't that interesting? I said it was about it was a few months before it actually did it. But he was yeah. like, he's obviously been watching it, riding it down. You know, Interesting. Because like like I had that sign. thought, uh, I'm running a Kia uh, Nero plug-in hybrid, which is now uh, no longer for this world in Australia. So you can't buy one anymore. But I've been running one as a long-termer. And yeah. um, I, I found it was really impressive if you do constantly charge it up. I managed to get like two months and something like 1,700 Ks um without needing to fuel it up just because of you know the constant use of the ev functions on it so i thought that was pretty impressive for a car with a tiny fuel tank and a tiny battery yes and is there a speed that it kicks in though uh for the yeah for the um uh, for the nero there is yeah but yeah. um uh it's it's like not outrageous that's like 80 k's or something like yeah, and, you could and, do and a lot of motoring without it kicking in yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely um yeah, and and then again, genuinely, it's got a tiny battery, like eight point nine kilowatt hours, and it still manages to get a genuine kind of fifth, like late fifty k range, which is pretty impressive. But Steve, notwithstanding the fact that these people were keen to impress on you how much they enjoyed the electric aspect of their Outlander, did they also say that having that petrol engine in reserve was a nice backstop for them psychologically? Was that important? Did that ever come up? It's the it's the one car thing. It means that I can have okay. one car. I wanted yeah. an electric vehicle, but I couldn't see how I would live with that. I'm yeah. worried about I'm worried about charging when I'm not at my home. So you know, they've got a charger at home, but this yeah. gives them the ability to do both. And that's the that's the FEV thing, isn't it? It's the bridge right. that gets you across. Okay. Particularly live in Australia. Okay. All right. That's beautiful. Let's move on. I'm going to chip in with another one. <clears throat> Pardon me. It's a Toyota. It's a Kluger. So, look, the one thing, one big thing this car has in its favour is you can actually go into a showroom and buy one um, at the moment. We've, what? We've, 
we've run a we've run a story about availability of Kluger more broadly and and these hybrids. So it's a car that uh, allegedly you can actually buy without um, a horrendous waiting time. So if you're tired of waiting for your Rav Four, uh, here's a seven seater in GX, GXL, and Grande version. It's an all wheel drive. Um, so your RAV4 is going from the high-ish 30s to the low 50s across its range. This one picks up where the RAV leaves off and you're at 54 and a bit up to 75, 700. So yes, it's a different kind of price bracket, but it's a 2.5 litre four, 142 kilowatts, 242 newton metres. You can tow two tonnes worth of brake trailer and right. you're looking at 5.6 litres per 100 kilometres for a seven-seat SUV. So I think it's a, it's a worthy contender. And as I say, it has that ace up its sleeve. It, it is uh, exposed to the threat of sale. It can be purchased. I've become suspicious of cars you can actually buy. I mean, what's, <laughs> yeah. what's wrong with this thing? How can I have one? What do you mean I can have it now? Yes, you can have a car. Oh, I wish to purchase a car. Look, I'm so not it's it's uh, worth noting as well, the, the Kluger, you know, because we were talking about the Sorento before, the, the Kluger is available in lower grades as a hybrid yes. compared to the Sorento. So you can actually get it a little bit cheaper. And yes. the, the other thing about it is it's slightly bigger than the Sorento. People like, like to think of them as kind of the same size bracket, but they're yeah. in fact, Fact, not quite. The 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 Kluger is slightly longer. Uh, yeah. me, Matt Campbell and I put them next to each other just to find out. It's probably um, a factor just of Toyota's market dominance that once they get to a certain volume, it makes economic sense to offer cars like that in in various grades where Kia may not have crossed that threshold uh, just yet. So it, it has to be relatively exclusive. Okay, well that that puts us around the houses twice. Now we're going to tip in our ring-ins to to uh, and we'll we'll on the fly choose a third um, one or a, a last one, sorry, to round up our list of seven. So let's make it a quick fire round. Tom, back to you. What do you reckon? Well, the most obvious car in the room that nobody's talked about yet is the Rav Four. Uh, <laughs> you know, one Cars Guide Car of the Year not very long ago, and you know it's there for a good reason. I, I think you know it's. It's not outrageously expensive. It uh, can be chosen as a hybrid pretty much across the range. It's got a huge boot. It's got uh, compliant driving dynamics. Uh, it's got really easy to use software. It's familiar. Um, it's just the sensible choice and, and is so sensible that it is the best selling. Uh, <laughs> sounds so great. Everyone would want one. Yes. Yes, exactly. Uh, and I'm sure it's got a long waiting list at the moment because last time I reviewed one, the waiting list was um, verging on six to eight months. So, uh, you know, good luck if you want one. But, right. you know, uh, it is great. So, okay. Well, thank you, Tom. Um, next up, Steve. And, and this one is one again, I believe, is actually available to purchase in a reasonable amount of time. What's, what's your, your third contender? I think it might be available because it's uh, quite pricey. I was, I, was, I was very much in favour of the Volvo XC60 Recharge Fev as a car. I understand it's won some Car of the Year awards in the past and um, fantastic to drive, really nice inside, great stereo, all that kind of thing. But 97,990 is um, it's a lot of whack. For, it is. For, for it a is. Car like that. Okay. Plus, it hurts me to promote a Volvo because I'm a motorcyclist. But. Um, <laughs> But it is, I, I have to admit it's a good car. It's okay, another car that I love the design of as well. Like, yeah. uh, you know, on that on that topic and, uh, you know, similar, similar kind of price range to the to the Lexus, but it's, you know, it's a Volvo. Because for what yeah, it's worth, yeah. I like the XC40 recharge as well. Um, I yeah. think that's, that's yeah. a good package also. Um, but, it, but making a Volvo look good, it still blows my mind that that's been done. Isn't it great? <laughs> um, now, amazing. 
Thank you for that. I'll, I'll fling in my last one and I will put my hand up and uh, full transparency, I have not driven this car. This is purely an on-paper assessment. <laughs> um, so the Havel H6, um, so it's a value for money option. You're looking at 45,990 drive away. It's a 1.5 litre turbo hybrid, 179 kilowatts, 530 newton metres, front wheel drive, not bad on the equipment front, you know, 19-inch alloys and other bits and pieces, five-star ANCAP, seven-year unlimited kilometre warranty, 5.2 litres per 100 kilometres uh, economy. So it's just one of those things we were talking about MG, we were talking about the shock of the new and, and the unknown kind of brands, but that adds up to a pretty compelling value package, I reckon. And I think that one as well is is interesting because it's kind of the no plug alternative to the MG. Like, yeah. you know, you can't yeah, yeah. get the MG as a parallel. So that's your uh, yeah. you know, value option. All right. Well, I think we, I think it's obvious the RAV4 has got to be uh the last one out of those three to round out our list of seven. So uh unless there's any disagreement, uh we'll move no, on. You won't see me voting for a Havel. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's good. So thank you for that discussion. That's great. That's our top seven. And we are now going to move on to Cars in the Garage. Great. Okay. So Cars in the Garage. These are actually vehicles that we've been driving recently. Steve, could I kick off with you, please? Uh, it's small. It's powerful. It has amazing heritage. What is it? It's the Subaru WRX. It's a manual, and it is the longest love of my life. I may have mentioned I was a motorcyclist. I didn't want to drive cars when I started in this business. I only rode motorbikes. My boss forced me to drive the first WRX. Thirty. I don't want to talk about how long ago it was. Yeah, yeah. It's a big number. Yes. I've been driving everyone that comes out ever since, and every time I love it. Unfortunately, some of them have been so ugly you have to drive them with your eyes closed. But um, wow. this one actually looks good. And, and, and the weird thing is, you know, you used to sit in them and you'd look out and it looked like you had a broken nose. Yes. You're looking over the bonnet of this ridiculous scoop. Now the scoop seems to be shrunk to the point where it's there, but it's not bothering you. It's still great to drive. It's not the it's not the hard-edged wild thing that it used to be. And, and yes. maybe it's matured as I have, but I, I dearly love it. The only thing that's changed about it is that it's not as not quite as cheap as I remember. I thought the price was set forever at yeah. 39990 but apparently yeah, yeah. it's not. And it's gone up. It's interesting, you know, because the last time I drove uh, a Rex, it didn't feel Rexy enough. It, it mm. in that you know, traditionally that non-linear delivery of torque, the big whoosh of kind of mm. thrust um, was a Rex trait that that I would have thought owners loved and looked for. And this mm. one's been refined a little bit too much. The power comes in in a nice even stream that you talk about the first one. I remember driving the first Rex and feeling like I was on a horse and I couldn't pull it up. You know, <laughs> you're trying to drag on the reins to get the horse to slow down because it's taken off unexpectedly almost. Oh, but that um, thing made me love cars, the way it cornered, the way it accelerated everything. This one's yeah. not that. And I was very, I was surprised that it's only like 6.1 or something to 100 in the manual. I mean, yep. faster in the CVT, but I'd rather uh, set it on fire than buy one of those. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, but there's just something about the mid mid range acceleration the sound of it, it just it appeals to me personally enormously. I would, I would definitely buy one. Great. Okay. Thank you for that, Tom. What's been in your driveway, garage, whatever it may be? Uh, well, I'm going to go the uh, kind of opposite end of the spectrum to that. And uh, I've been driving the uh, Mercedes-Benz EQS. Yeah, so nice. this is yes. kind of the uh, electric 
I don't know if it's going to be a replacement, but it's kind of like the electric version of the uh, S class. And uh, a little bit of a spoiler for the review, um, but the, basically why I set the scene is this car is asked to do a lot. So it has to be the future of the S class. It has to be the future of, you know, Mercedes-Benz electric drivetrains. But because they're launching with an AMG 53 variant, it also has to be, you know, the future of AMG as well. So yes. this car has to do so much. It's a bit of a blurring of the EQ and AMG lines, isn't it? You know, mm. the, the combination of those two. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, obviously being a top spec, being an S-Class, it's not cheap. Uh, the, you know, the starting price before you start ticking option boxes or getting it on road is $328,400 um, thereabouts. So a bit, bit, bit ouchy on the price front. Um, but that having been said, you know, it's not as expensive as a top version of the Taycan. Um, so, you know, it's and that's playing the, that, in that space. That's the thing. That's part of the challenge that we face, isn't it, Tom? We're we're trying to, you know, I'm a ass out of my pants motoring journal, and you've got to put yourself into the <laughs> um, into the mindset of someone for whom that's just another car. It's time to buy a car. That's what it costs. Um, mm. So it's really assessing it in terms of it's its interesting performance. And, and, I drove it recently as well. I, drive, I, I tried. Someone had put this TikTok saying they tried to drive an EV from Sydney to Canberra back and they, it took them four days or whatever. So I drove the EQS to Canberra and back to see if it could be done. And I must admit, it felt like a lot more car than a Taycan in terms of like it, it's absolutely luxe. It does have ferocious acceleration. It's, but, uh, yeah, the, it's the really plush. It's really plush, but the weird thing about it is it's so like, I don't know if it's just the spec that, you know, we, we've launched with this AMG one, but it seems so focused on the front, like the, the front passenger and the driver get this enormous screen, which I think measures three exactly. Screens. It's, yeah, it's, it's actually that. three screens, um, but, uh, it, you know, Mercedes say it measures at something like 4.1 meters or something ridiculous like that. Um, but, you know, uh it it feels like there's so much going on at the front of that car with the LEDs and the screens mm. and and all this like AMG stuff. And then you get to the back seat, and I think, well, a lot of people who are buying an S class are being driven in it. They're not driving it themselves. So you know, where's the big flashy screen in the back seat? And the I want massage seats in the rear as well, and you know, not just in the front and, and just stuff like that. Well, it could be you know, Rolls Royce was up front in saying its latest ghost is for one who may want to drive as much as being driven. So you know, this EQS could be uh, a bit down that road you know well, the, the amg badge says yeah driver doesn't it yeah but the um the time how great is the uh the sound it makes when you lock the doors yeah yeah it makes it that well they they've come up with like a soundscape for everything so yeah. there's like a sound for when it yeah. it it locks and it's kind of like this vibrant hum um and then there's a kind of a jingle but it's also like a warm hum when it starts up and it even has an idle tone so like most yes. electric cars will have a sound for when you accelerate but this one even has an idle tone and you can turn it up with the system so you can sort of sit there and if you get the a certain pack with this car it's got two it's got like authentic and performance um and the performance one if you sit there idling it sounds like some sort of distant cyber v8 it's, it's very odd <laughs> cool. um and the I think with the, the sound when you lock it, can you can scare people in car parks? Because it sounds like there's a moment in Star Wars where they blow something up using sound, and it's this kind of whoa. Wow. And that's what it sounds like. I'm like, I just kept pressing the lock button, and then I'd hide the other side of car parks and press the lock and scare people. <laughs> right yeah, car. I must admit, I would wait until people walk past it to lock it just to whoa. see the reaction. <laughs> Fantastic. I think I think I wrote an opinion story. It's a bit of a challenge for AMG is the sound of those cars because I think so many of the ones that are sold right now are about a V8 burble out the back or some kind of crackling exhaust if it's the four cylinders so that whole soundscape thing is critical 
um, for AMG's survival, I would argue. Um, well, they are, they argue that as well. They actually yeah. say that, you know, that the, yeah. there was so much like sort of heft put on these sound effects that right. they had to reflect the brand. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's quite interesting. Yeah. All right. That's that's great. I will finish this off. I've been driving a Ford Everest Sport. So it's a four by four, um, 63 and a bit thousand dollars before you put it on the road. It's the two litre twin turbo diesel four. 157 kilowatts, 500 newton meters, 10-speed auto, and as I said, four-wheel drive. Um, I had in the plus column, this thing still looks good. The new one, the new generation car is due late August, so it's just around the corner, but I think this one still stacks up well in terms of how it looks. You get the seven seats. It's got plenty of pulling power. That's 500 newton meters. That's that's lots. It'll tow 3.1 tonnes of a brake trailer. And, you know, things like leather accent trim, power tailgate, you've got that high driving position, all of those positives that come from driving a big um, SUV. The, the things I had to put in the negative column is it's 2.4 tonnes and it, it feels like it. Um, the, the drivetrain also lacks refinement. The engine is flat out loud. Um, it, it's really intrusive when you're, you're starting to accelerate. It's a bit bumpy, rolls a bit. That's why what I mean by 2.4 tons and feels it. Um, it's the body control is there, but it does roll a bit. And when the car's cold, the 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 it's an auto, it's a 10-speed auto, but it feels like a CVT. It feels like some clutches or bands inside the auto are slipping and you the end the revs are going up, but you're not going anywhere. Maybe it was just a problem with this particular vehicle, but um I noticed it particularly. So in summation, I'd say I think it's you know great accommodation, well-specified, but for mine, just a little bit rough around the edges, and it'll be interesting to see how the new generation uh, model picks up some of the pluses from Ranger and puts it into this kind of package. Mm, yeah. I know what you mean about that 10-speed auto. It feels like it's it's got so many gears, it's becoming a CVT. Maybe. Yes, why bother? Just mm. have two cones rather than all those ratios. Yeah. Um, anyway, that's so that's in our garage, and we are now going to move to comment of the week. Right, so comment of the week. Last week, we were talking about uh, transformers, game-changing models that through the course of history had, you know, changed the landscape so things weren't ever the same as they were previously. And Dan White came up with a really good thought. He said, I thought Ford's 1934 Model 40A, or what we call a ute, uh, should have made your list of game changers, especially now that they're most popular vehicles here in Oz. And I think he's absolutely right. Well done, Dan. Um, he also mentioned that he wasn't thrilled that the Land Cruiser had made it because he thought Range Rover walked all over it in terms of innovation and that the Land Cruiser 300s now just starting to catch up. But um, yes, it was 1933. Um, famously, this Gippsland farmer's wife wrote to Ford and said, we need a car or words to the effect of we can't afford two vehicles. We need something that'll take us to church on Sundays and take the pigs to market on Mondays and sent a letter off to Ford Australia and the MD said, oh, okay. And gave it to the designer who was a young bloke called Bant. Um, what's his name? I've got Lou Bant. Uh, Lewis Bant. You're absolutely yeah. right. So a year later, the coupe utility vehicle arrived. Even Henry Ford was impressed. Um, and it was a massive hit. You know, the rest is kind of history. So I, I agree. All I can say is I agree with you, Dan, that um, that probably should have made our list. And it was a mission on our part that it didn't. So uh, there you is go. Is it then responsible for the pickup truck as well? 
I think the pickup truck, you could you could probably have an interesting debate about that in terms mm-hmm. of the lineage of those two, when they started, who was first, what you know, what's a ute, what's a pickup. Mm. Um, and we have had that discussion before. So I, I don't know is the answer. Mm. But uh, anyway, 1933, 1934, it's quite a way back. Mm. All right. And look, with that, we have reached the finish line. So I want to say thanks to all our listeners and viewers. And thank you, Steve. And thank you, Tom. Thank you. And well done to our production multitasker, Mr. Brett Sullivan. Uh, He clearly has high octane running through his veins because today he's wearing a T-shirt saying, I'll be in the garage. Um, Jump into the conversation, Cars Guides on Facebook and Instagram, or email us at comments at carsguide.com.au. Listeners, please take a moment to rate and review the show. Five is the preferred number of stars. Thank you. And viewers, if you're watching on YouTube, make sure to subscribe to the Cars Guide channel so you can stay on top of all our latest content. But before we go, a mate of mine's kid told me his boss arrived at work this week in a new Lambo or a car. Uh, The chip said to him, that's an amazing car. Uh, Reckons the boss paused, looked him in the eye and said, son, if you work hard, focus on innovation and strive for excellence, I'll get another one next year. (laughs) 